Welcome back, everyone. We are live for another episode of Growing With My Fellow Growers. I'm your host, Jack Greenstock, joined, as always, by an amazing panel, which I will pass it first to Spartan Grown. What's up, everybody? I'm Spartan Grown. You can uh, find me on Instagram at Spartan Grown, all one word, no spaces. And then um, if you don't have social media, you can just shoot me an email at SpartanGrown at gmail.com. And I'll answer your questions on growing any organic growing or or, or a synthetic growing. I can can help on either side. We are happy to have you back as always. We've got a, a little bit of a shorter panel this week, but next up we've got Brandon Rust. Hey, what's going on everybody? What's going on listeners, everybody in chat? Brandon Rust here. You can find me on Instagram at rust.brandon. Um, yeah, you can find a link to my company, Bokashi Earthworks, and you can find, uh, you know, a bunch of educational content, weed stuff. Sometimes I post pictures of my bulldog. Fun times, you know. Good stuff. And uh, next up, we've got Matthew Gates. Hey, everyone. This is Matthew Gates. I'm an IPM specialist. So if you're interested in content related to plant health and pest abatement, you can find most of that content on my YouTube channel, Zenthanol, which is the same one that I comment with. Uh, as well as um, my Instagram and my Twitter, which is at SyncAngel, S-Y-N-C-H-A-N-G-E-L. Happy to have you back. And last, uh, who's here with us right now, and certainly not least, Dr. MJ. Hey, thank you. I am Dr. MJ Coco from CocoForCannabis.com. We publish articles, tutorials, and guides on the science and practice of growing cannabis. And uh, check out my YouTube channel. I'll be doing another uh, part test premiere giveaway this week. Do you want to tease what light it will be uh, reviewed? This uh, next one that's coming up is the Vipar Spectra XS4000. It's a, their biggest sort of quantum board style light. It draws about 500 watts. It's been interesting to see them uh, kind of like Mars grow and improve. I think they were blurple uh, originally when I first started seeing them. And now they're going to the more full spectrum. Yep. So it's cool to see. Um, yeah, and, and these are pretty cool little lights. They got Samsung diodes and meanwhile drivers. Um, they made some upgrades to them since they first launched them. Um, but they're phenomenal deals. And Black Friday is coming up. So I, uh, they've got some really good deals going on right now if you're interested in those. It's uh, cool when they've got the good quality you know, uh, inputs, I guess, basically to the light. Good diodes, good drivers. And as long as it's assembled you know, properly uh, and it's priced fairly, it's all good stuff. But you are not last because the American one who hadn't mentioned that he wouldn't make it this week uh, is actually here. So I'm glad to see him. And uh, welcome, Tao. Hello, Jack. Sorry for the tardiness. Uh, yeah, I was down playing with the plants and I didn't realize exactly how late it I got. But I'm glad I made it. And it's good to see you all. Um, I'm the American one on YouTube and the American one underscore with underscore Keens on the IG. If anybody's interested in checking out my plants and stuff. And yeah. Glad to be here. We are happy to have you back. Um, Matthew and uh, I were talking a little bit before the show about a post that he made about them finding some, uh, I don't know who the them was in this case, about there was a study that he posted relating to sulfur compounds being found oh, in the cannabis yep. plant that were related to some skunky smell. So I guess I could pass it to Matthew because I think it'd be an interesting topic to maybe start on because we kind of uh, hypothesized or uh, speculated on what we thought might 
apply or uh, cause the skunk smell and things like that. But this is uh, some alternative science that's uh, new and coming out. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about what you took from that. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I was just setting up my system so that I could uh, share that information. I just better. clicked it so we can uh, have multiple multiple people share screen now. So if you do want to uh, share the screen, you're more than welcome to. Yeah, I'll do that right now. Can you see it? Yes. Okay, so this is just the post. So it's a selection of screenshots from the research report. And this is the name here. And, um, you know, basically they were, <clears throat> they were showing that, uh, like here, uh, you can see my mouse, right? Yes. It says here, uh, we discovered a new family of volatile sulfur compounds, so VSCs, containing a print, a prenol or 3-methylbut-2-en-l. Uh, I'm always very bad with these long-form chemistry names. Uh, give me the Latin and stuff. Uh, functional group that is responsible for the scent. Um, and uh, I know that we're not the only ones who have uh, speculated about this. And of course they found other things as well. These are some of the compounds that they found. Um, you know, certainly not all of these are unique to, uh, to cannabis, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting to confirm that it's found in cannabis though, because um, a lot of the times, like I'm looking through the science to figure out what I believe is causing uh, aroma or you know flavor in cannabis and you might not be able to find the research so it's good to have up-to-date info like this to confirm uh, that certain elements that are reported to have these certain aromas are actually present mm -hmm, mm -hmm. well definitely and like uh you know everyone's out on the terpenes because that's the one that most people are familiar with and and it's easier to talk about but we've also talked about esters and thiols and you know, other volatile compounds not, that are not just terpenes um, and, and people who have a, a much sort of greater comprehension of the biochemistry, uh, you know, could probably talk about that a lot more. But um, these, these, these uh, yeah, it says right here, given, um, although these compounds contribute strongly to the aroma of cannabis and give each cultivar its unique scent, questions remain regarding the chemical origins of the skunk-like scent which is in part due to the difficulty of analyzing samples with such complexity. Um, there's more to that paragraph. I think it extends past uh, where I've screenshot here. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think that that's just, it's just sort of, it's just really interesting. Um, uh, you know, these, these compounds are, I guess, found in other plants too, like garlic and hops even, which is not surprising. Hops is its closest relative uh, that exists now in durian. <laughs> Um, there's a strain, I think, um, Yeti stash, uh, Spartan just got some durian. It was like rosin or something. And you said that it actually smells pretty like funky and almost gross. And a lot of people think durian is kind of a repulsive smell. Some places it's, it's like a cultural food, so I don't want to disparage it, but yeah, well, I, even think the, I, I think people even people, <laughs> it is. And people even recognize that I think in, in their own cultures, uh, uh, not to speak for anyone, uh, but myself, but, uh, it's kind of like, uh, a person way funnier than me uh, articulated before that certain cultures have so-called fu foods, and um, they're foods that other that a culture besides the one that is sort of endemic to, or something similar is familiar with. And I think, uh, like for me, blue cheese. I, I like blue cheese. I like good blue cheese. I don't like just some slathered on ranch like sort of like liquidy thing. I want like chunky, bluey, 
uh, bloomy, uh, uh, like Humboldt fog type stuff. And um, for a lot of people, that's gr- first of all, that's just gross for a lot of people to, to, to consider. Uh, and second of all, it can be very pungent, kind of like, um, what's another one? Like Roquefort, I think is, is quite strong. And um, Limburger cheese is real strong. Limburger is a good one too. And there was another one I was thinking of, but I, I've, uh, it's just not coming to me. There's a Gouda um, berry. It's sort of unique in paper. that it actually is a fungus that you're, you're eating. I mean, it's not really the, 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 the excretion. Yeah. 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 You're totally right. That's, and I think that, and when people tell me that it's gross, I have to agree with them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when you, when you really I mean, think objectively, it, it's gross. Objectively. That's yeah. That's a lot to ask somebody. Gross, but tasty. Gross but tasty, yeah. I guess. Um, so yeah, I want to go back to the study. Age, right? Like a lot of things. So uh, the study. We, I didn't we, hear what you said, uh, doctor. Uh, like chapulines, the, the yes. crickets. <laughs> that they, right. Or like a lot of things like that. It's totally normal to somebody inside the culture. Um, but yeah, it can be totally off-putting to somebody outside of it. Matthew, could you go back one slide? Because I just wanted to. Um, we talked a little bit last week about the UV study. Oh. I didn't get to look more. I don't know at why it. it did that to me. It went to but, a different uh, post. Yeah, that's that's pretty janky. Um, yeah, Instagram sometimes these arrows get confusing to click post to post or from one. Uh, oh, I, I see. There's two different ones, and one's not highlighted as much. My bad. Yeah, no, it's okay. Um, but My the fault. strain one is the thing that I wanted to bring up because when we looked at the UV thing, there was like a tidal wave or like rising tide or like two strains that I don't think many of us had heard of. This one we have. Baccio gelato or uh, however that's pronounced gelato um clone guy og area 41 jet lag og uh gushers i'm going to skip down because we were talking about cheese gouda berry um blackjack is one i'm familiar with gelato again uh chem 91 apple fritter wi-fi cake gushers so much more i would say modern genetics that people would see in a dispensary and know and recognize than what we were seeing out of the guelph I actually Googled uh, YouTube videos of people saying like, hey, I'm at University of Guelph. And that's actually how it's pronounced. So I, I was uh, corrected initially about that a long time ago. And that's the way to say it. But Tao, it looks like you got your hand up over there. Yeah, um, I was just going to point out, I, I looked at the authors and the uh, you know conflicting uh, possible financial conflicting, I forget the word, but yeah, this-, this Conflicts of was, interest. Yeah, can, is that? Do you have that in in that post? If you go to that, well, anyway, they're an abstract, an extract uh, terp company, and there was their that research it, yes. the research and development uh, department did the paper, and they have patent filings on concerning the paper. I don't know about what though. For on the, the UV paper, paper or for this I one? To point that out, yeah, I found the, that on, really they interesting. Have, they have patents on the on what exactly. Um, actually, I'll read it. I have it in my. Uh... Oh, where do I have it? Hold on, sorry. Um, I don't. Yeah, it's not specific. It just says. Uh... Oh, it's going to take me a second now. Sorry. That's okay. And you do you have the, the? Do you have the paper itself, and you're looking at the conflicts of interest? Yes. Okay. Good. Cool. Find the uh, where the paper is now. This is very important to, to bring up, and I was actually going to make a similar point. I'm glad that you brought it up, though, because I actually don't have that posted here um, in the paper itself. Although, I will say, I almost got the, the wrong arrow there. Um, it's, a very, it's a very pretty 
uh, well-organized um, paper. And uh, I wonder if that had anything to do with it. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> I, I, you know, I don't question the, uh, the legitimacy of it all. Damn, now I can't find it. Oh, that's too bad. I'll but, find um, it, but yeah, keep talking. Oh, My yeah, question no. would be, is oh, like, yeah. what, what um, of that conflict of interest? Okay, so they're a terpene company. But the information that's presented here doesn't seem like it's like really pitching a side or very biased. Yeah, it's just exposing it's, things it's that are within the plan. I, I think it's important to just recognize where funding comes from because it might not be obvious directly, but like you might find something in the future and having that record from the past can be really useful. So even if it's not like there's anything over in the here and now, like who knows, it, it can be. I just think it's a good thing to be transparent about just for a multitude of reasons. Um, yeah, actually, I'm curious, Dr. Coco, do you have any, I mean, you're probably the most qualified person here to speak about that uh, with regards to conflicts of interest and talking about yeah, that. Although. I mean, a lot of things are running through my head when you, had, when you were talking about that. I mean, on the one hand, everybody has a conflict. Everybody has an agenda. Some people are better about disclosing and sort of coming up front with that agenda than others. So the fact that somebody discloses their agenda shouldn't be sort of just lead to them being written off. I mean, some people try to appear to be totally objective. Um, that can actually be more dangerous because they're just hiding their agendas. Um, but what's the phrase? Um, you know, it's the people who don't think propaganda works on them that are the most vulnerable to it yeah i would agree yeah. i agree with that yeah all right um, at, at the same time you, really you do have to look at it with a skeptical lens when it's a, a paper that's supporting a business position and it might not be immediately obvious to any of us what business position this is is supporting but they may be looking for investment money or other things like that and that having studies like this um, sort of promote their position with potential investors in other products or other things like that. It's not always marketing. And in fact, it's often not marketing what the business interest is for sort of publishing papers like that. So it's definitely something to, to keep in mind. But I haven't really reviewed this one at all. So these are just sort of general principles in terms of how to approach sources. Tau, totally makes found, sense to me. You found the conflict of interest, Tao. Do you want to read that out? Right. So it says, notes, the authors declare the following computing financial interest interests. A patent related to the findings reported has been filed by, and they gave all the initials on it. And mm -hmm. underneath that, it says the author thanks uh, C. Tafayor and Akon for helping presenting samples, preparing samples, and S. Cali for helping develop GC by GC instruments instrumentation. No external funding was used for the study. So it's from mm -hmm. the, um, the Department of Research and Development of Abstract Tech. Tech. So I can tell you right now where, where it gets nefarious is if they do something like the biotech LLC, where they start using these obscure minor chemicals that only they know or only they have published publicly uh, to be studied and found in cannabis. And then start saying, all right, we're patenting gelato for its um, VSC content. And if anybody else runs this cut or whatever and tests over this amount of this VSC, they could claim that they're running their genetic or something like that. Uh, and Maybe, similar yeah. things have been done with like the myrcene. Yeah. If it's a type two plant and there's uh, the dominant terpene is myrcene, there's a patent that tries to claim um, that. So yeah. there's a few big, large sweeping patents that are done based on 
these um, chemicals. So the chemotype term actually comes down to like how they test it, what the plant actually does and produces. And then they try and patent the uh, product that, you know, is able to produce it. So the genetic clonal material. Yeah, I could see them trying to patent a product that has some of these sort of, you know, compounds in them or other things like that too, like extracts that something along those lines. In certain levels, like uh, Blue River Terpenes, I think had like a 95, a patent on 95% THC distillate with a 5% mix of terpenes or something like that. Yeah. So there's a few big, uh, I forget what they're called when it's like a, almost like a class action patent where it like goes across the board. Um, they're like mm -hmm. different than like a specific, uh, patent, like a plant variety pack, uh, patent. There's a few different ways to go about these patents and it's incredibly complex, uh, law. We might actually want to have like a cannabis attorney come on or somebody who works with the, those patents. Like I know one of the guys at steep Hill, Reggie is a uh, patent attorney, I believe as well as a cannabis lab operator. And he works a lot with this guy. specific stuff. We should get this guy to talk about it. Caleb. Yeah. Caleb, okay, we should reach out. Yeah, Cheers. copy left yeah. cannabis. Uh, no, because I agree with it's you. Interesting, it, it, you know, it, the way the patents work, I mean, patents are technically issued in order to disclose findings. And in order to get a patent, you have to tell everybody exactly what it is that you're doing and how you do it. Um, in, in a lot of businesses, they actually choose not to get patents if they feel like they could protect their secrets in other ways. Um, and really a patent gives you sort of a, an incentive to, to share information, share processes, share products, um, and then gives you an exclusivity window to, to protect your rights to them. And at the end of that exclusivity window, it becomes um, usable and different patents work in different ways by, by other groups. Um, there's a lot of sort of sentiment that it, it always works against the public interest, but the, the goal of the system and when the system really does work well, it encourages people to do this kind of research that might otherwise not get done. Um, they have to share it. They have to sort of disclose it with everybody in order to get the patent. Um, I don't know. It's a, it's a big philosophical debate. I just want to, to sort of suggest that there's two ways of, of thinking about these kinds of issues. And there's a reason that society has made that kind of protection in the first place. I think that there's a giant land grab happening right now, though, with the cannabis patents where people are trying to, uh, because it's just becoming legal slowly. Yeah, for sure. I mean, in bio, bio patents, generally, crop genetic resources, um, you know, indigenous plant um, pharmacology, other things like that. There's, there's a lot of, of sort of crazy issues going on with what can be patented and what those patents really control and, and other things like that. It's unlikely, for example, that it, any patent would affect you as an individual grower, what you do for any kind of non-commercial purposes. Um, like whether or not somebody could patent a plant and that means you can't grow the plant. That doesn't happen. It makes it more difficult for you maybe to get that plant to, to get a hold of those genetics um, issues like that. But I don't know, it, it is definitely a, a, a thorny issue and there's a lot of, of stakeholders and a lot of issues to think through about it. Certainly things can be abused, right? Uh, you know, yeah. it's... it's it's oh, I, I like, think it usually is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, right. 
the powerful interest in any kind of system, the powerful interest figure out a way to manipulate the rules to their advantage. And since they have more power, they end up sort of accumulating a, a greater advantage. I mean, we're definitely seeing that in cannabis as like institutional money comes in and and starts sort of throwing its weight around looking for ways to, to leverage the rules in their favor. I mean, this is a big thing that Spartan's been dealing with with MCMA. Um, it extends to issues like this as well. This uh, spooks me a little bit because there was also like a cannabis testing thing where they sprayed some uh, genetically traceable material on the plant. They were showing it at like a cannabis business con or whatever uh, in Vegas that makes everything trackable. And um, oh, I heard about that. The, there's the thing that I was talking about earlier is called a utility patent and biotech Institute LLC has several um, broad sweeping utility patents over cannabis. And what um, you would think like, okay, even if, and this becomes commercial, but like in the you know dream where everybody can grow their own and then go to like a farmer's market and you know distribute it to their clientele or patients, whatever you want to call it, uh, depending on the state you're in, they could essentially have like a secret shopper buy a sample, test that sample, and say, "Hey, this falls within our patented, uh, you know, whatever it is, chemotype," and then come after you. So. That's a they big could come after the stores that are selling it against their sort of licensing agreements, but they're, they're not going to come after the end users. Right. So the users won't be in trouble, but the growers ultimately. Um, so if, if like some of these large patents do come about, I think ultimately the lesson learned is uh, we should all grow our own because if you're not, you know, distributing it to anybody, if you're just growing it and consuming it yourself, then there's no way for them to really track what you're growing and how it comes up and uh, you can enjoy your own homegrown. So exactly. Yeah. And, and if it's for a non-commercial purpose, those utility patents, and even if they can show that they own it and you're not supposed to be using it, it doesn't matter. Well, and here's an interesting thing. Like uh, they put, they put here. Uh, they say that lastly, an indoor greenhouse trial was conducted revealing that the concentration to the discovered uh, volatile sulfuric compounds increased significantly toward the end of the flowering stage of growth reach a maximum during curing and then drop substantially after only 10 years of 10 years, 10 days of storage, our results. And then nothing else. Uh, you can check out the paper if you're interested in more, but I, you know, that just speaks to like the sort of the volatility and the utility of some of these compounds. You know, I'll just say uh, the herbs. Now your stuff will be dry before that 10 day window. And then you'd be potentially consuming some stuff that wouldn't be there. Uh, yeah, but it so does home grow. They're drying. Home grow. There you go. Home grow. I have a hard time believing that anything that contributes significantly to the quality of cannabis is gone within 10 days. I, I mean, well, yeah, there you go. Yeah. It, that's just based on my body of experience with it. Um, there's, there's nothing noticeably like drop off after, after that period of time, if anything, things improve um, throughout that sort of window of time. So Oh no, sometimes we have to put the, the tree back in the forest and think about how important this tree may actually be. It depends who you ask. But if Some it's a super like volatile, it if it's a super volatile and transient tree. I agree with that. And uh, what we didn't discuss is in this, it says reach a maximum during curing, which dot, right. dot, dot, curing is a very, very broad. Everybody I was here wondering what different. the hell that meant. Of... Like, what does that mean? <laughs> And doing then a lot of work drop substantially sentence. after 10 days. Like, what was that window of period? So there's a lot of unknowns here, um, but it's definitely an interesting right. suggestion. And I do 
uh, like Noah the Groa, who's not here with us this week, he would typically say he likes his stuff fresher. He likes to do, uh, you know, I think, I don't know if he's perpetual, but he always likes to have fresh bud versus. But, but 10 days, Jack? I don't know. Yeah, it's, I'm not saying that it needs days, to be consumed. It's like days, you got it for a week and then you, whatever you, I mean, I could just imagine <laughs> like if that was my strategy, I'd be like, all right, I got to burn through all this stuff in a week because after that it's going, <laughs> you know, quality is going straight to hell. I mean, I don't think it goes straight to hell. It could just be certain people prefer, <laughs> yeah, no, I certain, got you, I got you. You know, things that are there earlier. Like, I personally, like Sam the Skunk Man said, a lot of the terpenes early on, he theorized, were making him feel like he was sick after some of his harvest when he was smoking flour uh, mm-hmm. back in the day. And so, after it cured a bit, it was actually less strenuous on his like nasal passages and things like that. And I've tended to notice that too, as well. I think the terpenes and volatiles, they are actually kind of like, difficult sometimes for your body to process, especially when it's earlier in the more, um, yeah. you know, early stages of the cure. And then later on, some of those, uh, I don't know if they're, um, not monoterpenes. I think the monoterpenes are the ones that stick around. Uh, so sesqua and the other terpenes, terpenes, those probably, uh, flash off or whatever. And when, what you're left with is either just a lower overall amount or a different variety or profile that isn't as uh, aggressive on maybe your lungs well, and throat. And one thing I wanted to actually bring up since we're talking about the potential for like abuse with regards to patents or detecting certain compounds that you think are proprietary, but like, like ultimately I'm, I'm curious how this enters into the law, perhaps not at all, but I think it should. The fact that, you know, these volatile compounds, the way they're biosynthesized is super, I'm going to use the word fuzzy, right? So like, uh, you know, the process is a little, it's not like perfect. And sometimes through stress response, in fact, it is oftentimes a stress response that is causing the, uh, that, or at least not causing, but rather influencing or directing some of these compounds produce or in production. And sometimes things get produced that are very atypical, but it's because, you know, a confluence of, of factors. And, and so, and that's even how, sometimes the development of evolution of novel compounds uh like that's how saliva becomes venom over a very long period of time and the same kind of a thing happens here so like there's no there's no guarantee that this something like this doesn't exist already elsewhere or is developing or can develop you know we just don't understand the biosynthetic pathway perfectly but we do know that um at least in some cases you can get fractional differences because of how they're, uh, how they're produced. And, and that can be a little bit um, uh, malleable, I suppose, if that makes sense. That makes sense to me. Do we uh, want to wrap up maybe any thoughts, final thoughts and conclusions on this paper and sort of uh, what we've just been discussing? Mm-hmm. Brandon so you- and uh, Spartan have just been cheesing over there. Getting, getting so, prepared. Well, I mean, I can give you my cliff notes. My cliff notes is, is what well, would, kind of known is that sulfur brings the terps, right? If you went to That's court, interesting point. would their patent hold up in court on a plant? Because my understanding is the whole Has reason that, new. like patent and medication what is that I way. Like- those are usually something that are derived from something or they're a synthetic version of that um compound and it's my understanding is you can't really like you can't really patent a like is it prior art kind of thing like yeah i mean if something that's been around for a long time is that 
I mean, that was my understanding of it. And I don't think that's changed, but it's, I mean, can you really own something that is like, you can, I mean, you can literally find anywhere. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, and I also feel like it would be, I feel like this would be more likely for the kinds of, for the kinds of control we're talking about, probably more of a, more centered on like the genes that produce the compound rather than the compound being there in the first place. But that's not necessarily the limitation. And I, ha I have no patents and uh, I've not, I've actually looked at going through the patent process twice in my life. And from what I remember, kind of like what Dr. MJ was saying, you know, it's something that not only that, you have to maintain the patent and you have to, and depending on the kind of patent you're talking about, you have to go and essentially you have to go and defend and attack <laughs> if that patent gets violated. Otherwise you lose the rights to it, which is why you see, and this is of course a different kind of bear, but like, that's why IP, certain kinds of IP are, are so vehemently defended because they literally are legally obligated to do that. And so sometimes it's just the, the juice isn't worth the squeeze. And this might be a good example of that. How are you going to, how are you going to enforce or control that? That's Some of these great, big, big companies have the money to do it and the lawyers like to do it. I honestly look at it like this. It's just this form of prohibition and that didn't stop me before. So whatever. And as far as that goes, but as far as this paper goes, I still, my takeaway is, is that it's just reinforcing my idea with sulfur. I love sulfur. Um, I love it too. I, I love to add a top dress of sulfur in my organic gardens. Right. When I flip to flower to kind of, in my mind, top off sulfur once I go into flower, because I want it all to be available to that plant because I know that that helps with the terpene expression. And I know that because I just done that in my garden and I saw the result. Maybe there's not science there, but I just, I mean, that's citizen science, I guess. No, there's science there. And you've said there's that for too. a long time. I've, I've been listening to enough of your shows from Michigan Bros, Grow Show, et cetera, that you guys have talked about that for years and years. And now that it's interesting to see that Although there's like sulfur compounds in the plant that doesn't necessarily say that, oh, it's increasing terpenes, but maybe there is some sort of relation and they're both aromatic compounds, interestingly enough. Certainly sulfur has a, you know, meta it's a important metabolic component for a bunch of different processes. So you can make that argument, certainly. Um, obviously it's composed in like, the, like more directly the composition here for certain, uh, you know, thiols and disulfides and, you know, sulfides that are literally being produced by the plant as it's like end, end, end product, right? Uh, and and uh, certainly a lot of sulfuric compounds we know very infamously for being bad for certain like fungi and insects and things. So uh, it certainly has uses, absolutely. And, and it's interesting, even for myself, I'm ignorant about a lot of the, the really sort of um, uh, nascent research that's coming out about how some of these processes even undergo what they're doing. And, and we, we find out that like a more simple metabolic process is actually way more involved, you know, it's, it's hard to keep all of these different processes in your head. <laughs> like uh, um, you can say photosynthesis is light hitting your leaves and then that makes, you know, sugar, but uh, it's definitely way more complicated than that. Right. So that kind of stuff is always interesting. Um, and like, 
with regards to like hormone production or, 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 or secondary metabolite production, or even just primary metabolism. Um, we're learning more, more things about their uh, beneficial effects. And just for our listening audience, um, a couple of people in chat have asked me, so what do you use, you know, and somebody already, um, who was it that first said it? Let me find out who it was. Hashmaster Siflord said uh, gypsum. Yeah, that's my go-to. I love gypsum right there on flip because I'm getting calcium and salt for my two favorite things that I like to add to my plant. Um, so as far as sulfur as a nutrient, cannabis is it's really really hard to push sulfur to a toxic limit what it can do is it can cause some osmotic stress and it you know if if you were to look at let's say a soil test for instance or saturated paste test you would see that the the salt content is high and it's because that's uh the so4 it's the uh, negative anion that's plan available um but you're absolutely right the the cannabis plant loves sulfur it's so highly uh, photosynthetic too and that's part of the metabolism in producing uh, chlorophylls there's sulfur involved so um you know, any of the mineral sulfate stuff, any of those gypsum, Epsom salt, potassium sulfate, all of those minerals, all the mineral sulfates, they all contain amounts of sulfur. And I get asked often, well, if I'm going to build a soil or if I'm going to use all these different types of um, mined minerals as a top dress, am I going to get too much sulfur? And I've never seen it happen. So the answer to that, if anybody was answering this, you can't really overdo it. Um, I mean, you can overdo it, but I was just about to say, there's definitely a way. Don't don't. Uh, <laughs> tell people, they'll do 100 percent sulfur. Well, like wait, media. what he did say, which is true, it, it has a strong electrical charge, so it it makes it harder if there's a lot of sulfur present or other things that have a strong electrical charge. If you're fertigating, this will raise the EC of your solution. And mm -hmm. anything that does that makes it harder for the plant to take up water. So it's not just like it is with a lot of the nutrients. It's not that you're going to overdose on that particular nutrient. It's just that there's a limit to how much total stuff the plant can be exposed to before it starts having osmotic stress and not being able to take in as much water as it needs to. Matthew, uh, I'm going to share screen on something also related to potential skunk smells that I'm going to be posting about it a little bit. I think it kind of relates to this topic that we could get a little more info. Um, Absolutely. Just to kind of further this, this discussion. And it's actually a post from THC farmer, which I, um, I love some of the forums that that one hasn't always been the greatest in my experience, but this particular article is extremely well done. So I want to give the person credit uh, C4. It's like S E A F maybe a zero you are, but they have so many of the different aromas and uh, their effects. And this was made in 2014, November 23rd. And it starts off with a nice little diagram of some of the common terpenes. But if you scroll down, uh, there's minor cannabinoids, 
and uh, other things like that. So this is a great thing to learn from. I'll uh, post the link in the show notes after the show is over and I'll also share it in the chat. But what I wanted to do was a control F and then type in skunk because they outline a lot of the things that were also found in cannabis that are related to that skunk smell. Like I was talking about the uh, mercaptans and they have some of the descriptions, which I just really uh, think that this is a great article. And like ethyl mercaptan has a high strength, sulfurous, skunky odor uh, with a slightly fruity note. So I think that actually it might be something that is still around in some of the sweeter skunks. And uh, there was like Island Sweet Skunk and skunk number one has gotten a lot sweeter over time. But I just wanted to share this article and kind of show there are several different things that are uh, found in cannabis that are potentially leading to that skunk aroma. So every, everywhere you see highlighted yellow or orange um, shows something, but there's also a lot of terpenes like osamine Brandon talked about a little bit that you don't see as often, but um, there's like alpha and beta, and then it's just got tons and tons of information. So I wanted to share this article. Um, although forms aren't always perfect, this uh, one has a great, um, I think this article is very, very well done and it has so much information. I just had to uh, go ahead and share it with the rest of the group. That's awesome. Okay. I want to check that out. I think that's where I wish they would focus testing more. Like right now, you know, regulation forces a major cannabinoid test. I wish that I kind of, I know it would create more cost and everything, but still, I think it's the data is worth the cost to uh, start testing at least terpenes you know, to have terpenes to go along with cannabinoids. And I think that would be. You have to have that here sure. in Oklahoma. You do? You wow. Yeah, sure. terpenes. Look, at, you have to have your cannabinoids, your terpenes, mycotoxins. Um, then you have to have microbials, heavy yeah. metals, pesticides. And then there's also, if you're concentrate residual solvents. We have one, is, we have little ones too, like, uh, Water moisture content was a big one that was yeah, added. That too. Yeah, actually, it has to be less than 15%. So. Well, can all those lab tests be trusted? I don't trust any of them, to be honest with you. Not any of them at all? Not I mean, any of them at all. Because well, listen, I, can give, even, I can give you an example here in Michigan. Hold on. Hold on. Uh, even, before, even before the sample gets to them, I could just sprinkle a whole bunch of distillate and keef on that sample, right? So that's one thing. But, Not in California. They grab the samples uh, randomly out of the bag. Uh, all right. Same, so go ahead. Uh, teach me. Teach me on this then. So, okay. So do you want to go first, Spartan? Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So here in Michigan, just like Jack said, they'll come out. You have to provide all of your harvest that you want to have tested in batches. Uh, I believe ours are 15 pound batches at the max. And then they go through and pick whatever the fuck they want out. And they can go through every single package. They could go through, you know, they can take them all from the same. It's random, however they fucking do it. And then um, it all gets packaged right there in front of you, and it's sealed in the, before it goes into the truck. The truck's route is fucking entered into the fucking database that the police have access to. And then, uh, like, every stop is fucking on there. They can't deviate from it. And then, uh, and they are GPSed on their way Jeez. yeah and then um that's metric for you that's yeah that's metric so and then here in michigan for example if you're wondering about you know can you trust the labs we've had two labs that i know of now that have been investigated by the state we've only got seven seven labs i think in the entire state 
one was Iron Labs. I think one one was Iron Labs was shut down for a while, and then whatever happened to them, they're back up and running. Um, there's a lab. There's a giant recall right now of product because there was a a, a lab here called Verides or I can't pronounce it. It's a weird name. Anyhow, it's in Lansing, and they're under investigation. Not they're under investigation. They, I think they had a uh, an MRA rep go and do tests on their machines. One of their machines that they were using was out of tolerance by one degree. And so everything that that lab has passed in the last, I think they said two months, because that was before the last test of the machine, they're just recalling and having it retested. It's funny seeing the news stories and everything covering this because it's the largest recall in Michigan. But it's funny seeing the, the stories saying, oh, can we trust tested? It? It's all tainted. And it's like, it's all passed and the machine was only off by one degree. Now the lab says they contacted the manufacturer. The manufacturer forwarded information to the state showing that that machine would have to be off by 10 degrees to have, have a change in the pass fail, but that's not good enough for the state. And they're erring on the side of caution and they're recalling everything that that lab has passed for the last two months and requiring a retest before it goes back on the shelves. Now, in my opinion, that's, overcautious but at the same time that's showing the system is working the system the regulation i guess is is working here to protect the consumer so i can't really bitch about it what happens to all that product that the farmer is not going to get paid for then because their shit farmers already paid for it the only people that haven't got paid would be if it's at the dispensary level they they oh. haven't been paid by the end user the customer and then um so what, what happens from the dispensary it, has a bunch of stock of a bunch of product that's getting recalled. That's going to suck. It gets them. sent back to, it's all getting sent back to the uh, original. So wherever they got it from. So if they got it from the grow, it goes back to the grow. Or if it, um, if it came from a processor, it comes from the processor. Now they have the option for retest just to put it right back out there. They yeah. just got to, um, that lab, I guess, if it like, I don't know if they're doing that for everybody, but I've heard that that lab and they, just talking to people in the industry that that lab I mean, is offering to retest. Your inventory free. is frozen if you're a dispensary owner, right? You're oh, this is like, in Michigan. That's not an issue right now, man. It's fucking Croptober. There is flour up to the fucking eyeballs. I'll just say this. This is that's a minor blip on the in the Michigan legalization scene. A two month, you know, and as large as it might seem, and they're making news stories about it now in five years. They're not going to remember this shit at all, in my opinion. I think this is, they're going to have it retested somewhere else. It'll eventually make its way to shelves. People will eventually buy it if it passes, which it likely will. And it just shows, like Spartan said, they're actually policing and monitoring the standards. So I think ultimately it's a win for us generally. It makes us look more professional. Like, hey, we actually care. We give a shit. Um, the stuff that's like missed by general, there was like last year, the, the devil's lettuce or whatever, it was romaine because there was like, some sort of outbreak that happened with salmonella that. salmonella right so regular it's always salmonella has stuff get get put out into the market fairly often and cannabis i think has higher more strict testing than any other product and it's you know a good thing for the consumer ultimately at the end of the day um they they can comfortably believe that they have a safe product even though many of us believe prior to legalization that already existed and it will still continue to with or without regulation but um, I think for a certain set of people that need that uh, reassurance, it's good to provide. So I honestly, if I would see a change about specifically labs here in Michigan, is I wish they wouldn't be a private entity. I mean, allow the private entity, 
But I think that some of these millions of dollars that the state's collecting in regulatory fees, they should fucking set up some state fucking funded labs. You know what I mean? And so that you could lab test things at a state facility that's under the state, you know, conditions. And so that there's no, it's just weird to me that as a grower, I'm the customer to a lab who can pass or fail my product, which would determine whether it goes to the market. That's fucking asking for corruption. Even I'm not saying there is anything there. That's fucking weird when you have the customer's always right mentality and you're a fucking lab. You're collecting well, and money for your services. They can shop around to any of the seven labs. So it's like, hey, the other place is giving me better test results or better right. price. Uh, they're going to squeeze the people and try and get the best results for themselves and at the lowest cost. So it puts the labs in a sticky situation at times. And the incentivization can happen both ways, right? Like on the one hand, like you just said, Jack, you know, if somebody knows that they can go to a different lab that t- tends to, to rate higher, then they're incentivized to go there. That's not cool of the cultivator to do that. Similarly, it's not cool for the labs if they're, if they're doing something nefarious there. You know, and, and also even from my um, my realm, you know, uh, talking about freezing stuff like uh, light brown apple moth is a really uh, insidu- uh, insidious pest in California right now. It has been for many years. And it's one of the what we call quarantine pests. And if you find that on your property, or if the government finds it on the property and you and, and knows you knew and you didn't report it or anything, and even if they do find it and they know that you didn't know, they'll shut you down for like months at a time in order to like make sure because that thing will destroy other commercial facilities. And like, of course, my experience with that has been having people <laughs> be very dishonorable about trying to, you know, trying to hide or not even trying to look for some of these pests. So like, I don't know, I get it. Cause on the one hand that could, that can totally just destroy a company if you, if you're frozen for that long, but at the other time, it's like, it's a biosecurity thing. It's like a, I think people don't really like this term anymore, but it's a tragedy of the commons situation, right? Where all of us working together you know, if one of them gets this really terrible pest or this other sort of corruption problem, we have to work together on it. But that can mean a detriment for any individual organization, right? So how do we how we go about this as a as a group, as a community structure? Super important, and I think that like I don't think there's a very much of a good solution. There needs to be, well, there needs to be some sort of compensation given to farms that are are forced to shut down. The producers, you would, I would think. Down. In the minimal it needs way, to be right? revenue neutral. Otherwise, they will try to hide it. And that does sort of degrade the common good. And the tragedy, yeah, it's not about the commons per se. It's about basically being self-interested when dealing with a common pool resource. And we deal with these common pool resources. We have, People are also self-interested. So we need to find a way to balance that self-interest. And I, I think that that's probably the, the simplest solution is just providing financial relief to farms that or to producers that are forced to shut down for quarantines. As far I as I know, quite... they don't do that at all. And, and so I totally agree. Right. With which if they ridiculous. did, you could see how that would change the dynamic of whether or not to report or whether or not to <laughs> even look for yeah. it. Like a lot of farms would be off looking for it because then they'd be like, oh, we get shut down. We still make our money and we get to stay home and watch TV. <laughs> I yeah, mean, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, those kinds of, of offsets really do help improve 
voluntary reporting if but if you can't expect people to voluntarily report things that are going to be financially ruinous to them i have a question right. about the testing is it standardized across oklahoma and standardized in michigan is there any it could go there's different ways of testing so that's another okay. issue no yeah i don't so, think there's much standardization right no it's dude the it's a shit show to be completely honest man i mean there's the best, this is the best thing that you can do is test at the lab that the OMMA would use if they were going to test a product that they thought had failed and gone onto the market, right? So if that lab specifically that they would use would probably always be your safest bet because it's the same lab that OMMA uses. However, that being said, there's no, um, there's no standard operating procedure across the board. There's no like ISO certification for, you know, detecting terpenes, because here's the thing. A lot of these people uh, that are doing the lab testing come from other backgrounds, soil analytics, microbiology, um, environmental chemistry, things like that. And so when I first got out here and I was going to labs, I was literally talking to these people and they were not from cannabis. They didn't know how to do they. I mean, they understood procedure, but they didn't know what they were looking for or looking at, you know, and you can open a lab out here, just like you can open up a cannabis company. So it's just inconsistent all the time. That's crazy to me <laughs> sitting here in, in this market where it's like fucking structured, written out in the law. They, they have their own fucking guidelines they have to follow for every fucking procedure. This is out of left field. But, uh, you know, recently uh, I was watching a, a video or I'd read an article watching a video about, um, and I'll be very quick, uh, submarine metal. Basically the metal that they use to keep submarines from like crushing under tons of pressure. Well, the government has standards for this and they're actually quite extreme, but apparently this, this person who is in charge of like basically uh, quality controlling these tests uh, for, like 20, for like 20 years was like, um, <laughs> yeah, they had this opinion that like, well, some of the tests are a little egregious. So you know, it's not a big deal. They can still be within the, the, the major tolerances or whatever. And it's just, it just blows my mind. I mean, in a way it doesn't because humans, right. But also like, <laughs> I, you know, I don't think it was like, I'm going to sabotage the entire Pacific fleet. I think it, it came across, I think there were like schedules and, and times and there's, especially with big projects like that, there's a lot of like taking from Paul to, to pay Peter kind of a thing. Uh, you know, project to project, millions and millions and billions of dollars, uh, which it'd be great if some of that could go elsewhere. But, um, you know, it, it happens at all levels. And that's why I think it sort of inspires a bit of like almost unreasonable degrees of skepticism. So I, I do understand where you're coming from, Tao, because people can and will um, take advantage of any system. I, I think that is sort of the the, the linchpin problem, right? You can make a really great system, but uh, you have to fight the, whether how draconian do you want to be about it? 
how much leeway do you give people and understanding that 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 people like Dr. MJ said uh, are self-interested after all so you have to mitigate that yeah because it's hard to mitigate that considering oh, humans and yeah the state of affairs in the world but yeah <laughs> once once the right. people kind of the consumer ultimately has an idea of like they try a few products and some of them might be tested and marketing because they go to that person who tests their thing high and then they look for this number maybe like thc for example they look for that high thc number and then it doesn't satisfy them so they go try a different brand and maybe it has terpenes listed or you know something that gives them more of an indication of uh, whether or not it's good for them um so i, I just think ultimately testing it, it's not going to be perfect but it gets people in the ballpark and it starts making them think about cannabis more uh, honestly i think it for me when i came out to california made me think about more than just thc because I was trying for the highest THC every time at the very beginning and then ultimately realized, oh, it's not always the best stuff or my favorite stuff. I would then start smelling the product and looking at it when you're still able to do that. And um, often just found if I picked with my nose, I was much more happy than looking at the numbers. And so um, I think everybody goes through their own little process. And for some people, higher numbers are the best thing for them. And that's what they go for till the end of time. But I think a lot of people um, find there's a lot more to it than just whatever a lab test says. So it's just one part of the uh, experience as a consumer, patient, whatever. Well, yeah, I think that's why all the, all the real heady, heady people go for that, uh, that, that rosin because it's got high THC, high cannabinoids, and it's got high terps. Right. And it's like instant effect when you smoke it too. It's just like, bam, I'm hot. And I'll just say it's going to sound contrary to my first statement about thinking they should have terpene testing. But honestly, as a consumer, testing has actually made me try more weed than I would. Because normally I wouldn't even try anything from a dispensary. But now if somebody has something at their house or whatever, and they're like, hey, you want to try this? If I look at it and I see a fucking tag on it that it's tested, I'll be like, yeah, I'll try. Because it's not the THC. I mean, it's not the cannabinoids. I don't care about that. It's not the terpenes and any of that. I don't care about that. It's this. Is this safe for me to consume? Yes, because <laughs> that's what's hard. not there. There's not heavy metals. There's not pesticides, yeah. molds, yes. mildews. So honestly, that's all I really, as a consumer, need because I don't give a fuck. I, I always just like trying it. So, yeah. If there's one, so, yeah. yeah if just one... give me the heavy metals. Give me the pesticide. <laughs> you know, give me that. Like that's what I want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If there's one thing that regulate that a regulated product might have up on the up on the up and up, or could potentially have, doesn't always even have that is what you're saying right is that like i at least trust that they like looked for you know xyz toxins and that they're not there and and of course you can't test for everything still and that's why and things do get passed and all of that but uh at least i feel a little bit more confident with the product but um yeah i mean that's that's what proxies are all about you can't know everything so you have to make concessions unless you home grow Homegrown, chief homegrown. Home <laughs> Speaking of homegrown, I just cropped some uh, Donnie Burger. It just had a harvest and it's drying now. It smells really good. Uh, definitely shout out to, I think it's Skunk House Genetics is what they go by, Skunk Master Flex. Uh, some really smelly, danky shit. Uh, all the other phenos I've tried that have been really good. So I'm happy to finally get to grow it myself. That's one of the best parts about growing. It's like you try a strain you like and you're like, oh, these seeds are still available. I can buy them. And grow up myself and see how I do compared to the sample I had better, or worse, anywhere in between. It's always a fun comparison to see.
I guess for me, the velvet punch has been the one that I've tried the most. Like I've, my barber's got some, I've had some of Tao's and just even seeing a bunch of different people grow it. It's cool to see all the uh, variation, but also commonalities. And it's uh, one of those beautiful things about cannabis. We're uh, very lucky to get to grow it and talk about it so often. I'm excited to uh, bake has got a whole pack of Donnie Burger seeds. So I'm excited for him to pop those and see what kind of fun, fun you know, to phenol hunt it. It'd be really cool to see what kind of funky stuff comes out of that. Oh, hey, don't you have a, uh, a limelight going? I've got a limelight in flower right now. It's, I don't have to check. I don't know the number off the top of my head where I'm at, but it's early flower. So probably it's... might be week two, maybe week two in flower. But I had two uh, in the same pot, and it kind of turned out pretty fucking awesome in that one was a male and one was a female. I was like, man, I should grow them together. <laughs> but uh, I ended up taking the male out last minute before it was too late. And so it's just going to fill up that one pot, and uh, it, sh- it should have plenty of room to stretch out and uh, really hopefully stack up some nice buds. Hopefully. Hopefully you get nice lime turps. Yeah, that's what I'm looking for out of it. So that's cool. It's get it was re- in veg. It was really almost almost skunky t- smelling in, in veg, and I was like, "Damn, this thing is stinky already." I love them when they're stinky in veg. Is it all the ones I have really short and stocky with you know really big leaves? Super big leaves, yeah, for sure. And that, those are the kind of plants I love too because I I don't have a lot of headspace, so I love when they kind of don't fucking get too tall. And those big leaves are so easy to fucking, if you want to do a leaf strip, fucking take off two leaves and you're good. <laughs> yeah, I have some, I have some that are flowering right now too, but I'm actually going to be stepping away from black label and I'm going to be working on starting my own thing. So that's going to be interesting. And, or I might be going to Hawaii. I don't know. I might be moving to Hawaii. <laughs> Well, Either one would be awesome. Either one. That sounds that sounds very uh, like there's a lot of options for you there. I think I'll yeah, probably visit you in Hawaii before I would in Oklahoma. As much as I still want to go to Oklahoma and, and see all the wild, really cool. wild west that, that's happening down I think south. Everybody would like it out here because of like the freedoms that you have to kind of do what you would normally do if you were doing stuff with your homeboy smoking weed. Like here's a here's a thing. Like we could go to the the little restaurant bar down the road and they have an open area right there and you can smoke weed anywhere that you can smoke cigarettes in Oklahoma and you can literally smoke cigarettes anywhere in Oklahoma. So a lot of people don't smoke cigarettes, but there will be people just chiefing out outside on the patios while they're eating their dinner, chilling with their friends. And it's not something that people frown upon. They don't even look at you weird. You know what I mean? So it's that kind of thing or the kind of thing where you're at a, a, a concert and or an event and there's, you know, they have a full bar. You can fucking they have vendors there dude. You smoke weed. You can do, you know, it's just like. But to be fair, dude, I mean, a concert. Come on. I was just at Billy Strings last night <laughs> and fucking there was plenty of weed there. Even when we're not, you know, we're in, yeah. we're downtown Isn't California Detroit. really well known for that kind of stuff? We, we saw Billy Strings like uh, maybe last month out here in Oklahoma and it was the same thing. You know, so many of the people that we know from cannabis were there and we're not, nobody's worried about it, about smoking. You know what I mean? That's the cool thing. Like you have to worry about. Can you smoke indoors in Oklahoma? Yeah. So you can, 
you can there's usually uh like if you're in a bowling alley not all places but you can when i first got here i was like oh shit there's people smoking in this bar i was like this is crazy like i didn't i forgot that this shit was a thing because i you know from california san diego so um, go people smoke in public here i'll just say that it's like not yeah. looked down upon it's, <laughs> it's very very uh, open out in the open but not legally been... perhaps this is no it, it's legal as long as you're not in a school zone and it, within 15 feet of a no smoking whatever like it's totally legal to smoke cannabis in public in california to me, to me it sounds like oklahoma's like you know transported 60 years ago can you have martini lunches too like or is that so banned dude you, <laughs> there's like everything there's everything here you just you name it man in New York City, um, well before it was legal at all, I would go, you know, uh, see reggae artists in the city and stuff. So I went to a couple and they were like throwing people out the, out the side door when you lit up, which I thought was like absurd. Then I went to BB King's and I saw, I don't know if it was Don Carlos or uh, the, um, the Whalers, I forget, but one of those... And as soon as the band came on, I think it was Don Carlos, as soon as he came on stage, the security guard at the door was lit up a joint and the whole place lit up inside the bar, inside the area, there's eating in there too. And it was just like nothing. I was just like, this is the way it should be. And I was just so impressed that it was not a thing at all, man. It was awesome. Yeah, that's how it is. It's nice. Yeah, shout out Billy Strings. I doubt he's watching, but he put on a hell of a fucking show. The light show, shout out to his fucking crew, man. That light show was fucking intense at times. I was like, oh, I was fucking imagining the fucking whole fucking stage was floating at some point because the, I was like kind of sit, the film was kind of a, the way that it's set up, it seems very intimate. And like, no matter where you're at, it seems like you're fucking right on top of the stage. But the, right in front of the stage where the standing people are standing it's like people were just jumping all the time and it was almost at one point it just looked like a wave you know what i mean and then with the laser lights fucking shooting out man it was it was wild i I fucking really enjoyed myself and that dude can play he could yeah that dude can fucking play guitar man i don't don't know how else to say he's making a guitar make noises i was like okay what the fuck is going on is that a guitar what the fuck is he doing What did you bring with you to uh, Toke during the concert? We had a King, it was King Roll, or what are the, King Palm is what it's called, the King Palms. And it was filled with uh, Sparkle Face from my outdoor grill. And because uh, it just puts me in a great fucking mood. And uh, we smoked that. He had a little intermission. And we just fucking kicked out the side door. Everybody was just out there, you know, in a circle because this is Michigan and it was freezing outside, but we're in there warm as shit. Cause we're in the, you know, everybody smashed together like a sardine and you're just smoking and you just, everybody has put their head up to exhale your smoke. Cause you're so damn close. You'd be blown into people's faces <laughs> and we're just passing around. And yeah, it was fucking, it was, there was amazing little intermission too. And it was time just right. We, we got back to the, uh, where we were like right when he was getting ready to start up again. So it was, it was a perfect, amazing night. I'm wearing a shirt. I got this concert shirt. It's fucking badass. He played Dust in the Baggy, which is my favorite Billy String song. I got a sticker for the sticker wall. This is the same emblem that's on my shirt. See, it's got all the weed leaves. Fucking badass. 
it's good stuff. I did want to uh, invite anybody from the chat who would like to uh, tonight. We have a short panel, so at the, about the one hour mark, which we're a little bit past right now. But uh, this is typically when I invite people to jump in. We have somebody named Web Troll who's in the waiting room who I have not admitted, and I'm probably not going to unless they identify <laughs> themselves because uh, that just screams uh, bad news. So, Web Troll, I'm sorry. Um, if you enter with a, a different name that you can identify yourself uh, with with somebody in the chat that I recognize, then I'd be more than happy to uh, admit you. But for now, Web Troll. I don't want to have any uh, obscene things have to be uh, muted or cut out of the show. I'm not that technically proficient, so it'd be a you know bigger job than I want to get into. You're a smart man, Jack. You're a smart man. Yeah, I've seen, no, uh, very that's, prudent. <laughs> that's a good call. There was a the American one, allegedly not the actual Tao, but somebody who was parading themselves as Tao and then flashing on other shows. Uh, you know their lower half exposed so no good no uh oh know, wow <laughs> oh boy that That's... means tau has arrived as a that was not I, no one ever makes oh. fun of me like this i know um, I'm, I'm honestly tau's like it was cold it was cold i swear <laughs> <laughs> oh now we see now we see why i see he just didn't want to blame oh. yeah the crime didn't fit the punishment uh, that's pretty funny, but not funny for me. <laughs> yeah, it was like a... I told I told anyone who happened to have the misfortune of seeing that they could hit my DMs and I'll show them the real thing because I'm not shy and I don't want them. That, that must have made it mislabeled. Yeah. <laughs> I got no takers, by the way. That's how you know, yeah. the whole situation. <laughs> Say, hey, I'm gonna. I'm just trying to clear my name, man. <laughs> That's a certification process for sure. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that, but. Uh... Um, very, very, uh, very prudent of Jack to, to not take the, the person whose literal name is uh, you know, a troll. <laughs> I'd be like maybe, accepting maybe, a dating request from somebody named like date rapist. I mean, yeah, no. Yeah, I, um, yeah. <laughs> All right. Maybe they're just a big fan of mythology. Martin, I just saw you puffing on the uh, Dr. Dabber, I think, right? Uh, something like that. How, how yeah. was it? What you took on over there? This durian, man. You guys got me thinking. CJ, bring that shit up. It goes in my head. And I'm like, well, at hash time, I'm going to get me some durian. And here it is. We're a little bit past. But so, uh, yeah, I'm talking on durian. Shout out to Yeti Stash. It's good shit. And I was, I've been smoking Sparkle Face this whole time. I love that Sparkle Face. <laughs> Have you had to clean the um, Dr. Dabber yet? Because I, I said a while back, oh, you yeah. only know how good a piece is when you drop it and it either breaks or it survives and or you have to clean it. And then it either sucks or it's not that bad. No, it's fucking, it's all, it's super easy. I, this is the only glass piece is this top globe and it comes out of the, it comes out of the, this, whatever you call it. This is the magnet that holds it all together. So this is all just glass. So you just dump out. And I mean, that's, and I've never measured that volume, but it's a very little bit of volume. And I use that, um, phone's going off. I use that little, uh, it's called peace water. I use that in there. And that keeps the glass pretty much clean anyway. So I literally have to just dump it out, rinse it out with water, and it's clean again. And then put a, a tiny little bit of peace water back in, and I'm ready to rock and roll. And then yeah, the, it's like uh, milliliters. It's a tiny, tiny amount. Yeah. So it's 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 a fucking badass. I love it. It's just the convenience of it all. I mean, it's not a rig, so, but it's a step down from a rig, and I love it. For the convenience of its uh, 
portability is fucking awesome. The battery did lasts you, pretty long. So, did you guys hear that thump in the background a minute ago? I didn't hear the thump. I just heard I you giggling like a you know very excited child on some Christmas day. My bulldog was asleep on the couch, and we have hardwood floors. And he was asleep, and he rolled over and just hit the floor. Bam! Good thing they're made for impact. <laughs> it was tough dogs. Uh, he's a klutz. Growing up, I had a rat terrier, and uh, I had a friend named Peter who would come around with his uh, English Staffordshire Bull Terrier. And that thing was beastly. Yeah, like, uh, it just would never, it would just never run out of energy. And uh, when it got soup, when it did get exhausted, it sounded like an off brand motorcycle, just like, like exhaust just coming out. Uh, you know, those dogs, those, those chunky dogs, they're, uh, they're a real thing. <laughs> they're just machines. He's bulldozer. Spartan's got a pug over there, right? I think uh, last week he's like, my dog's breathing all excitedly when it was like his time to get going out. I think it might, maybe it was the other dog, but I'd imagine it was the yeah, pug. It was the pug, yeah. You can hear, he doesn't, he is not a ninja. He, he will never sneak up on anybody. <laughs> that is for sure. It's, sounds like a little potbelly pig just following behind me. And he, that's what he does. He just wants to sit on my lap or follow behind me wherever I go. So that's him. Love that guy. Mr. Quibbly is his name. I got his name off of an old uh, sneaker commercial. It was uh, Skechers. They had a French, a French, uh, a Frenchie, and it was like running a race. And uh, that's where I got his name. And I think that one was Mr. Quibbly or something close to that. That's funny that they're uh, definitely interesting dogs. We've got Cheddar Bob joining us once again. Uh, it's actually the real Cheddar Bob. I was keeping my finger on the mute slash remove you're sideways for me cheddar bob it looks like you've got uh a, i think it's called a guy fox mask on over there like an anonymous it's gee 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 in french gee fox it's easy. yeah it's french right yeah it's not guy yeah. it's gee sorry i i'm uh you're not french a plebeian yeah <laughs> english right the same thing right yeah according to the french How's it going, everyone? Nice to see you. Doing well. Happy to have you back on the show. How's the uh, garden doing? Uh, it's <clears throat> doing all right. We are in uh, week six of flower uh, with the cherry pie and the nine-pound hammer. Looking uh, good, Cheddar Bob. Thanks, Tao. Nice to hear your voice. Do both of those put you to sleep? Because both of those for me are uh, really sedating. Um, You know, honestly, Jack, I... I can't tell if something puts me to sleep. I don't have any problems ever falling asleep. So, um, you know, it's, it is what it is. I, I, I'm just in a constant state of highness, you know? So, yeah. Um, I the honesty. Do you make people call you your highness when you're high? Cause that's what I like to do. I, I don't, but I'm going to start. <laughs> I, I have kids that call me dad, and now they will call me highness. <laughs> so perfect. Yeah, yeah, that that's a good suggestion. I like that. I like that, Spartan. Nice. You look like you're bundled um, up. Is it cold over there in Maine? Yeah, it's Maine is chilly. It's actually not too bad tonight, but um, you know, I'm I'm small. I'm skinny, so I don't have any fat on my body. So yes, the highness secret. 
his secret superhero identity. What are you today? I, there you go. Well, we got Miyagi Do, right? Can't okay. go wrong with the Karate Kid. And then, uh, you know, we got the Green Lantern underneath. So. He's got a double. There you go. Yeah. Now I got to bundle back up. But um, yeah, the cherry pie is looking really nice. It's starting to uh, to chunk up. Let me take you down here for a second. Get you a little closer. So this is just uh, one plant. I love your canopy, bro. I like it, how flat it is. Yeah, it, it, it works out pretty well. The, the edges, you know, where the, the meristems come out are, are generally a lot shorter than the middle branches that have, that have popped up. But, yeah. um, you know, I can never quite get it as level as I would like it. But, you know, it's just kind of part of the course. So... And you like leaving um, the leaves on. Yeah, I don't defoliate a whole lot. Um, you know, you can see down here, I thin out just a little tiny bit, but not very much. Um, you know, I'm, I'm indoors and I'm living soil. So I need all that productivity from the leaves to, for the photosynthesis, you know, um, uh, to get my, my food going. Uh, I do actually, I have a little, uh, <laughs> I had a little accident with my um, reservoir. I uh, filled up a one gallon jug and it had some Dr. Zymes in it. And um, we had a little overflow here uh, when I nice. filled that up. So like all my, all my, this like got all soaked. Oh, no. Build a soil oh, bags no. that soaked. So I had to, you know, go back through and bag up my stuff so i had a little bit left and i was like fuck it i'll just throw it in on the bed yeah. um but i did put down some flower pods for my avocados oh i don't know if we lost him or me no i think it's him he's afraid yeah mylar getcha Back, yeah, though. the tents, yeah, every time. So I have avocado tech going for my flower pods right now, and there's a bunch of worms just mowing at it. But um, you can't see it because the reception sucks in the tent. So that's that. Uh, but behind me, I have uh, the Bruce Banner number threes that are starting to reach the trellis. And uh, before I was talking uh, with the last harvest, I had mealybugs. And so, Matthew, I've applied um, those mealybug destroyers. The, is it Cryptolamus? Yeah, Cryptolamus montrosary is how I pronounce yeah. it. Um, so those did a fantastic job um, in the tents. I, I was a little uh, persuaded by Josh Steensland when he was talking about them, but he has a much more open space than I do. So I could see them not working as well in a large, large space. But in the tent, they cleared up like the, the visual numbers, probably 90, 90%, 95%. Um, and after that, I've applied some wettable sulfur. And now I'm going through and hitting it with like Dr. Zymes. And I'm still actually seeing some mealybugs here and there. So 
what sh should I just keep applying Dr. Zymes, the, the sulfur? What, what else do I need to, to do to bang these things out before flower? Is it, if, if you want to treat your soil, one of the things you can do is you can do the Pyganic and Bavaria Bassiana combo. I do use Bassiana Bavaria. I got, I got Bavaria Bassiana, but yeah. Yeah. I got the, the Botana Guard. WP. Is it, use it in conjunction. Here's one of the things. You can increase efficacy of both products when you use two different pro products that have different um, modes of action. Different mode of action. <clears throat> yeah. What, so, was the, what was the first one you said? Hyganic. He's talking, about a, he's talking about a pyrethrin product. Oh. So, okay. so you can use that or like a different sort of like botanical sort of toxin. Um, cause yeah, cause what you do is you, you poison them and they have a pretty good immune system for battling some of this stuff to some degree, but it's about, it's about giving them too much for them to handle. And then of course, even if you only weaken them, uh, that makes the Bouveria infection that much more um, virulent and uh, easy essentially. And, and I also want to echo what he says that uh, you could use Bouveria, or um, sort of an Isaria product would, could, could also work. Depends on what's available to you and the price range for certain products. But I definitely yeah. agree with a one-two combo of like a botanical insecticide. Yeah. And then um, an intima pathogen. Uh, specifically because mealybugs, uh, they tend to produce tons of wax um, and they tend to not move too much. The crawler forms move more and they're also less guarded because they don't have a lot of that waxy defense. It's very hydrophobic, so water uh, just washes off. In some cases, a lot of cases, people also will apply, and in this one too, I wouldn't do it, but they'll also apply a compound with a surfactant so that it can um, sort of stay and uh, it has like penetrating power um, in that, that sort is, of waxy um, context. What about, uh, I? Mr. Toad was telling me about using uh, a little bit warmer water with saponins and the wettable sulfur. Right, I think he's trying to achieve a similar effect there, or at least I would assume that you a similar kind of thing could happen. You have to be careful using surfactants with sulfur. That's true, though, and oils too, for that matter. I'm not a oils. big fan of uh, yeah. I of know sulfur. the I know yeah. the the oils, but I I wasn't aware of the the surfactants. There are different kinds of surfactants. I um I think yeah. I've told the story a few times, but uh, there was um a big controversy and I learned a lot about formulations of pesticides when working with a grower um, of uh, ornamentals. And uh, we were looking at research to make the Bouveria bassiana go into and penetrate uh, the mines of leaf miner flies. And we found that uh, two organosilicone products, I think that's what they were, that what they were. One of them was called Silhouette and one of them was called something else. And, uh, Although they looked essentially the same on the like SDS label, they did have uh, different effects. And we had to consult like a Bouveria Bassiana expert, essentially. Steven Sivold, I, I cannot pronounce his name. Chivold or Sivold. Does he like, work um, with Bioworks? Uh, I don't think so anymore. He's a USDA researcher, but Matthew Krause um, could also, was I think, who introduced me to him. And they had done a lot of... Uh, um, I believe that he actually helped them with it. So maybe they did work together at some point. What is a Sufoil X? Isn't there, isn't that like a sulfur with a, some sort of surfactant? It's like petroleum and soybean oil. 
It's like a real oily spray. Yeah, it's, oh, uh, it's not petroleum. It's a mineral petroleum. oil. In a small situation too, Cheddar Bob, um, you know, it might be really laborious to do, but even just like going in and like hand killing like the colonies that you find, like they don't, they don't put up a whole lot of resistance if that's even possible, but they can get into those like nitty gritty crannies so, like in the So in the what I've been doing, I've been going through like the, the ryegrass and the vetch and kind of, you know, where the, the uh, grass will grow up and then kind of split off. I'll just mm-hmm. go in there and I'll kind of pinch and, you know, yeah. as, as much as I can. I mean, you can see, like, I can't hit them all, but I try to go through and pinch all the spots that would be little crevices. And, you know. It can be beneficial to just completely remove your crop cover until your um, insect pressure yeah, is at a level that you're comfortable with or that you eliminate it because it's been my experience that in high instances, of insect pressure a lot of times they will be able to use the crop cover either as shelter shelter or additional source of food and so removing that from the equation can also be beneficial and and since and since you're not on a massive scale it wouldn't be a massive amount of work to simply just remove that for the time being and then when you feel comfortable you can replant crop cover in there I definitely now, agree with that sentiment typically, but um, I don't think you'll have that effect with mealybugs and grasses, specifically in this context, at least. Spider mites are a big one where that's true. Um, thrips massively. Uh, they're super generalists. I've seen, um, I've seen root aphids transfer over to, I think it was winter rye. Oh yeah, rye, barley, wheat, um, flowering quince, apple, so, all kinds so of people, stuff. So people, if if they have root aphids, one of the things that you might want to do is look at what kind of crop cover you have because if you have a winter like a rye or um, you know what vetch would probably be, would vetch be another one? No, I think you know just... it, it could it could be I I uh, I don't remember off the top of my head there but like rice root aphids feed on tons of different plants yeah uh, they'll, so... they'll go for, from like a grassier like group of plants more like grasses to like woodier tree like plants like kind of like cannabis or prunus species and that kind of stuff but mealybugs are kind of like that too citrus mealybug long-tailed mealybug um uh, vine mealybug they're pretty common these are these are the little white ones well, they I mean, start off kind of orange moving they crawl mm-hmm. and uh you know when they they settle in they form that sort of cotton ball looking thing yeah a and lot of them kind of look that's where their this... eggs are and stuff or something like that I've never dealt with these yeah things. some some of them do that um and they all kind of look the same at that point uh, it can be very hard. Some of them have like long filaments at the end, and and that could be one of a few different uh, groups that are called long-tailed mealybugs or species, I should say. But um, they all tend to have generally the same treatment, um, like in cannabis, for example. Like I wouldn't significantly treat like citrus mealybug, which is like probably the most common mealybug that I see infesting cannabis, and like citrus and 
a bunch of other woodier plants to like vine mealybug, for example. Although their feeding gill, or their feeding ranges are a little different. Um, you know, they're, they are very physiologically, they're very similar, same weaknesses, same strengths. Um, some of them even vector viruses. So we'll see if that becomes a problem in cannabis, but you were going to say something, Brandon. Uh, I forgot. I'm high. I think you were saying you, you've never, you've never dealt with them or you've never seen them. No, I've never dealt with them personally. Um, I have either up until a couple harvests I've never dealt with a whole, you know, like spider mites. I've had them yeah, for a very, very short time, you know, maybe once or twice. I've dealt with hemp russet, root aphids, fungus gnats. I've never had to deal with thrips or um, yeah. thrips or broad mite, but pretty much everything else I've done. I've had, I've dealt with white fly. But the, but here's the thing. That's one of the reasons why I like the the broad spectrum um, plant derived pesticides in combination with because with those those endopathogenic fungus because the, it's not just Bouveria bassiana that you can get. There's other fungus that infects a whole different group of of different pests. So you can kind of just mix and match really. To, to accommodate whatever the situation that you're in is with that combination. And the cool thing is too, you can also use it as a foiler. You know, you can use those same products and foiler application. Matthew or Brandon, do either, you know, any of the other uh, commonly used uh, fungi that are like entomopathogenic fungi, like Bouveria bassiana. I just saw a post. Uh, there was like three and I can't remember the other two. Metarhesium. Isaria, Bouveria, those are three big ones. Yeah, can you? And the Isana, yeah, the Isana, Metazarium, and yeah, those are like the three. I mean, you're covering a huge, huge range of insects when we're with those three different. Could you say those slower so I can write them down, Matthew? All right, I'll try to type them out. Instead, I'll type them out. Okay. Oh, and I even spelled Bouveria wrong. Let me just, yeah. So yeah, Metarhesium, Bouveria, Isaria. Uh, these are, like Brandon was saying, these are massively, these are probably the biggest ones that I can think of off the top of my head. Uh, I think all of them, or maybe two out of the three, are somewhat closely related in the cordyceps group. So everyone who's familiar with the infamous cordyceps mushrooms that uh, parasitize and uh, don't actually take over the mind of certain hosts, but actually, if you can the believe it, the muscle, the muscular system, which is kind of terrifying. Uh, Zombie uh, bugs. It's great. Yeah. It's yeah. super awesome. It's the most yeah. awesome ever. It's so creepy and like so sci-fi that it would be, such, that a, that would be such a good premise for like a Halloween movie, right? Oh, this parasitic fungi brings all of the bugs in town back to life and they start and they're flesh eating beetles or something like that. You know, I, I'm pretty sure it's already uh, the inspiration for tons of um, blockbuster hits uh, lately. Um, I think the mist was uh, or is that like trees were the bad guys? Sorry, it's spoiler true. alert. The mist was uh, Stephen uh, King, wasn't it? That was the. Oh, Maybe that I think the, the uh, fog. Uh, the fog. Yeah. Yeah, the fog. Oh no, yeah. there was. You know, there was 
There was one with um, there was one with Zoe Deschanel and Mark Wahlberg called The Happening. That's it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. That was the trees. Yeah. That was the trees, um, right? So <laughs> we're all so in fog. with those three. I'm going to jump out so I can uh, read them and get them jotted down. But thanks for having and, me. Uh, on, j- Jack. J- just re- just remember, Cheddar Bob's more spores on contact is better, and an aggressive regimen is usually preferred. And um, it's been my experience that, especially in commercial spaces, people will take a look at the product price and they'll thumb their nose at it. Um, and that really, really uh, lengthens the amount of time it takes to deal with like rice root aphids and other yeah. sorts of um, mealy bugs. And so- one, one more quick question. Um, I just ordered one of the Foggers, Mr. Foggers. Did you use Coco uh, Coffee? Because <laughs> you could have saved 20%. If you got it from Petra Tools and you use code Bokashi, you can it save was a Ryobi. It was a Ryobi. Okay, those are good too. Yeah, um, but uh, fifty micron, seventy or one hundred for the Mister. I, I I would assume the fifty, but which which would be best? Micron. Yeah. Yeah. Go with the go with the highest because the hundred have to you know I mean you don't want to have too small of a of a micron because you're dealing with spores and okay. pressure, right? And they're they're no, very no. fragile, and you'll okay. rupture them, and they won't be able to colonize the the insects or do the job that they're supposed to do. So. Good info. Thank you. Thank you all very much. Spartan, Matthew, Brandon, Tao, Jack. Peace out. Peace out. Or love Cheddar Bob. Peace out, Cheddar Bob. Cheddar Bob 13 on Instagram. That's C-H-E-T-T-E-R-B-O-B-1-3. He's a yeah. good dude. Happy to have him back for a little bit. Tao, you had a... Yeah, I was just going to mention, speaking of microbes and uh, plant life, the um, you always do great posts right before this right before the show, Matthew. And the one oh. concerning the fusarium was really, oh, yeah. uh, and that like goes back to, I'm a big believer in that. Get the beneficials in there and then the bad guys can't get in with the PM and the botrytis, but this is something different. So, yeah. Oh, you're talking about, um, if you want, I think we're running a little bit shorter on time, but I can do a quick, if, if you, if you were okay with that, I can do this quick yeah, screen no. share. We've got, yeah, 15 minutes till Spartan goes, yeah, and then another yeah. 15 minutes till we sign out. There's, so. there's yeah. microbes for other microbes too, which is great because the trichoderma and bacillus subtilis is a combination that I use. Mm-hmm. Like I can do like a liquid concentration where I do a solid state ferment and I add, um, you know, some humic and some iron in there. Uh, and then there's also when you can do just a direct application. And that can help combat some of those issues that you would run into, especially if you're running real high humidity, you know? Yeah, uh, actually what, what Brandon says is, is super important because, um, and I'm a huge advocate for talking about like, it's the, it's the, it's what's there. And certainly in some cases, it's not as important to really quantify what microbes are there and what are not to a certain extent, because, depending on how you take those samples and things, you are perhaps liable to get a lot of the things that are going to do what you want. But I think if you're interested in optimizing those relationships, then we have to, of course, consider what exactly actually is in there at a species level, at a strain level. Uh, You mentioned Fusarium, and here this is the research report. Uh, This was talking about, um, here I'll give you guys the title. This is Fusarium oxysporum 
Forma Specialis Cannabis. So that's a, a strain that's specifically to cannabis. Um, uh, in vitro and in planta biocontrol by a plant growth promoting bacteria consortium. So PGPB, so plant growth promoting bacteria are a kind of, are a, are a functional group. They're not always closely related, but they're a functional group of, of bacteria that do all kinds of cool things for plants. And like what Brandon was saying, um, you can- One is one of those functional groups, effective microorganisms, which is a consortium that has, you know, again, tons of white papers like this to show its effective, effective efficacy and use in the suppression of pathogens and for things like cycling um, phosphate from phosphorus minerals. Yeah, um, I was talking on the, in the aquaponics conference, a second annual one with potent ponics. Uh, I had mentioned the importance, and I think it's really important to consider that uh, in some cases, you can add like a mycorrhiza, but that mycorrhiza might have, it might be too much of an energy cost in some cases for it to mine certain nutrients or to transfer them. Um, but when combined with like in the, in, in the research report, I mentioned bacteria and a protist, those in combination, I think that was the one that Tao was talking about a few set, uh, sessions ago. Um you know, that's just kind of interesting and it, it speaks to this dynamic approach. And so you got to know all the players um, if you really want to optimize that. Here we have a, an SEM micrograph showing the difference in mycelium development of, uh, I'm just going to call it FOC, F-O-C. Uh, so A here, this is the control mycelium with continuous normal hyphae and branching this of the fusarium. And then B here, we can see mycelium with swelling and vacuolation of the hyphae present in an interaction zone between uh, FOC and the bacterial consortium. Uh, so glucona, glucona acetobacter or glucon acetobacter diazotrophicus. So diazotrophs, um, those are nitrogen fixing bacteria. Uh, Herbis spirillum and seropediki and Burkholderia ambifaria. So, do we have a, does it show with the red? Do we have a key? We don't actually have a key. That's um, too bad. But uh, the arrows are showing problems as you can see in the mycelia. Um, yeah, I wish that was a little, so here are the strains or here are the, yeah, here are the, the different um, microbes that they have here. LSD, and this is question the, mark? The LSD, yeah, not, not what you think. This is the least significant difference post hoc <laughs> test. <laughs> But um, uh, yeah, so see, so like in a vacuum, each one of these could have like maybe like very direct effects potentially, but in combination, they're greater than the sum of their parts. Um, do we have it here? No, it looks like we don't actually have it shown here, but this is just another example in A, uh, the distorted development of the mycelia versus, versus B or yeah, is that right? Yeah, I think so. So yeah, these so these bacteria were shown to have this really great effect that, like Tao was referencing. Um, so like some of them, for example, one of them consumed. I think I have here. Uh, yeah, so like this one, Ampifaria, it actually used the fusaric acid that fusarium produces as an energy source. And so since that fusaric acid, I know that in uh, 
in rice, it can cause a disease in Japan that's called bakane. And it's funny because baka means idiot or, or stupid. So it's called stupid disease or, 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 or um, so foolishness disease because it causes the plant to grow too much foolishly, right? That's the, the reference there. And it just elongates because of the, I think the fusaric acid like stimulates growth. You think, oh, that's a great thing, but it stimulates growth and sort of like supercharges a particular kind of growth to the detriment of the plant. So this, this uh, bacteria negates that by actually literally consuming the fusaric acid, which was cool, but it's also got tons of other antimicrobial compounds, bercoldines, um, I'm going to pronounce this as oxidiofungins. That's how I did in my head. Uh, all these sorts of compounds, which is, I guess, another thing to consider, right? Because um, some of these fix nitrogen. Some of them outcompete the fusarium in the soil, like physically by being there, or, or it competes with nutrients. Um, some of them produce stimulating phytohormones, but some of them also produce toxins that can be negative for other microbes right and so like again um it's not a good guys versus bad guys situation even the good guys can maybe sometimes harm each other or they can create a more i guess you could say a more delicate balance um and then when you add the fact that like your environment like if you have a heat wave or if it's very dry or the plants don't get water or something else happens in like a living soil or sort of a natural environment then um different bacterial populations and, uh, and other microbes for that matter can swell or uh, simmer down. Um, and depending on how established that consortium is over time, you know, that consortium will change over time dynamically, but also it will change how they react to stress. Like if they didn't get very established in the beginning, then that can cause um, kind of like what you call a founder effect where, where like if they're super stressed or if something happens right after application, maybe they don't establish as well as if, if they get stressed by like heat temperature um, or all kinds of other factors later on in the growth cycle. So I've, um, I've monopolized that time uh, already. Does I'd like have to any... see the photos of the um, plants where it was side by side, because like this kind of goes, it says uh, consortium, consortium left. And then you got the control and uh, FOC and the yeah. consortiums. I don't know if that's like we were talking about where they're just growing, like stretching in a negative way, but to me, that looks like they were kind of growing more healthy. And yeah, uh, the consortiums, all of them together. And uh, there's actually more to this diagram. We just want to say that up front, but uh, as you can see the control to the consortium, and I'm not sure there might be something else here. I forgot. Um, when I posted this, Instagram has been clipping my pictures where they look all fine right before I post and then they are not <laughs> afterwards. So, um, but yeah, the control of the consortium, like that looks very different. And of course the control to the, to the fusarium is uh, not looking so healthy, certainly. Also, I love to mention this, but fusarium, there's so many fusarium oxysporum strains even. And sometimes there are even fusarial populations that are uh, basically benign. And um, they don't have a negative effect on the plant. And it comes down to like the genes uh, in, the, in the strain. Sometimes they lack those genes that allow it to be parasitic in the first place. Um, and I think uh, even some cases you get situations where pathogenic populations evolve from uh, mutualists. Uh, so like they already have access to all of the 
exploits to interact with the plant and then suddenly they turn dark side on you uh, and they pull a Darth Vader and then suddenly they're a massively uh, uh, effective pathogen because they already have the keys to the city, so to speak. That makes sense. So would you generally recommend towards using consortiums of microbes or would you recommend away from that? Because I've seen like Brandon has his consortium and uh, I think, you know, Scotty Real with uh, Recharge, he's got a little consortium that it's interesting to see. Generally, I feel like people have had pretty positive results with it, but it sounds like there could be negative repercussions. But at the same time, um, it just depends on which consortium and, and the environment is what you're talking about earlier, the temperature or dryness or lack of watering, it could change the consortium that's there. Some can survive, some might not survive. And uh, for everybody, it's going to be a little bit different. So it's kind that's of the a- boring, that's the boring, but intellectually honest answer, I think, is that it, for some people's environments or situations, uh, it might make more sense. And certainly it's more complicated science. So like take a look at various organisms, even though, even in this case, it's still like a scientific experiment that's maybe not as, as uh, relatable to like a field application, right? And so there's still some mysteries there, potentially some edge cases that could happen. So sometimes I feel like it's better to focus on one or two that you know will have X and Y effects, like with the entoma pathogens, right? They have other cool effects that they can have. Some of them are endophytic in the plant. Some of them produce compounds that are negative against herbivory. Uh, but others are just good because they kill the bad bugs dead, right? And you can at least count on those effects to happen. And they're not, and, and also necessarily because they're kind of, they have like a simple sort of straightforward usage that makes them easier to integrate. Whereas other ones are going to maybe potentially be uh, a little bit more malleable. And perhaps they have a lot of other like secondary and tertiary effects that you want to optimize, but I think that requires a deeper level of consideration. And um, ultimately, it can even be hard to, to, to know that just because you applied something it even established in the first place. That's another thing is that you got to know what's actually there. And uh, it can be challenging to, to know if at a species level or, or below. Uh, you're getting what you're getting because you can't always tell morphologically, um, you know, just by looking at it. But if you see things like a heart tick net or like a mycelial web and you've applied a mycelium, I think chances are you're probably right. Right. But you just sometimes things happen, I guess is what, I, what I'll say about that. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Uh, we have Gorski joined us. Dude, your carbon input too, right? So that is going to drastically change um, what's in your soil because if you look at like how mushrooms grow, for instance, they grow some grow on wood, some grow on decomposing leaf matter. It's all the amount of, cal- of carbon, not oxygen and hydrogen, because those things are all being consumed differently um, than the plant is. But carbon is an energy source for these things. So that's going to change the dynamic greatly as well. Cheers, uh, Gorski. We're walking us through the garden a little bit here. Not to shift yeah. topics, but I spotlighted you for uh, the rest of the panel. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Well, I just wanted to hop on. It Thanks for you guys. I swept up my grow before I got on. But uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's up, Tao? How you doing? Um, um, good, man. Good to see you. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. Thanks, thanks for the platform. Thanks for allowing people on. I, I'm honored to be on the panel. Well, just to show a little bit, not to actually, you know, be on the panel. I don't want to misspoke, misspeak. But uh, yeah, the the show is great. The information is wonderful. Um, Spartan, I watch you quite a bit. I bug you as Gravy Kilos on Instagram. And, <laughs> Cheers, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. So I I send you all those little shorts and videos and shit like that. And sometimes I try to keep you up to date with other states and what they're doing in legislation. Appreciate but, that. Uh, yeah, of course. So like uh, GMOs, Gittles, OC Kush from Ethos over here. I just did a repot and I know I need a water, but a lot of the soil that I have is from outside. So I dug up my garden from outside and brought it inside and now it's revegging. So like I have a lot of the plants that are revegging and they were all pollinated outside as well. Um, so some of these still have seeds that I need to extract, but they're on the reveg now on the rebound and anything else I just cut away. And, uh, but yeah, so I have like rye grass, tall, fex, tall fescue, buffalo grass, and all the bugs, creepy crawlies that come along with it. I don't really do any IPM. So um, that was Ethos. There's a guy named Brainstrap from Area 420. It's a harumbe breath. Uh, this is Dutch, the ice cream cake, licorice lime. Just remember that one because I have another tap root that was seeded. And I cut a clone from it. So that's in the other tent. I just show you in a second. And then this is Sun Grown Mids. That's his Dosey Doe 88G13 hash plant. Um, this is his 88G13 hash plant. Has, have uh, you grown this, those out before or no? Um, I grew them out before, but then, you know, see how these cups are right now? If mm -hmm. I up pot this again and I knock my cups over because I'm like crazy dude that's just not paying attention. I have a seven month old child. So if I hear like a cry or something and I go like this and I kick it over, maybe two of them drop and I'm like, I, th I think oh, it was that one. Hey. You know, you know what I mean? So dude, like, listen, you know what I do? So that I, I use a crayon and I write on the side of the container yeah. and at right. the end, it's easy to wipe off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Well, the whole process that I go through in general is like, this was in my outdoor garden this doesn't okay. have a label on it. Right. And like, so, I, I go to the mad science realm where I label in the beginning. I know what females I have. I know what males I have. And in the beginning of pollination, if I want to hit the pre-flowers, I'll have a relative idea of what I'm using. But right. then after a while, I, I'm not a name guy. And I've been doing it since 2019 because I, I want to go off of what the plant mm -hmm. looks like. So like, I have no idea what this is, but this definitely grows like my... Um, Oh, what the heck was it? Yeah, see, I'm I'm at a loss for names right now because I'm on this show and a little nervous. I'll be honest. One second. Before before I let you continue, I want to give a guy who's got a name Spartan Grown on the panel a chance to jump out because he's got about 14 minutes until Michigan Bros Grow Show. So he's got to take care of the dogs and refill the tray, get some water, all that good stuff. Sure. Yep. Thanks, yeah. guys. Yep. Thank, uh, thanks for showing your guard, man. I love the, I fucking, I love the idea of just taking your fucking soil from outside and growing in that shit. I fucking love that, dude. Um, thanks, bro. So props to you for that. Um, I want to uh, just thank everybody on the panel. It was fucking another great show. Info dense. This way I fucking love them. I'm going to have to go back and watch this shit or listen to it at work uh, so I can catch it a second or third time. Maybe some of it more will sink in. Uh, and shout out to chat, man. Super active today. It was hard for me to keep keep up, but I think I did a pretty good job of getting everybody. There's a question I'd like you guys to get to if you get a shot. Somebody's looking for some direction on microscope, and I don't have an answer for them. So hopefully I'm going to bring it up right after you go. All right. Cheers, guys. I'm headed out to the Mission Bros Grow Show uh, over there, the other YouTube channel, and I'll see you all there in about 10 minutes.
Thank you so much for joining us, Martin. Have a great week. Fuck the MCMA. Fuck the MCMA as always. Uh, but I gotta go. I gotta go to uh, my battery on my phone's about to die. So uh, I appreciate being here as always, and I'll see everybody next week. You can find me at rust.brandon on IG. You can find my website at www.bokashieearthworks.com, and I just kind of reorganized my website so it's a little more cohesive now. Still Good working. Stuff, a few people have asked me about seeds from you. Do you have anything uh, available on any websites? Because everything se- I've seen has been sold out. No, I have nothing. Um, I'm, the next thing that I'll probably drop will be the uh, Black Lime Reserve times Limelight, which is Limerilla times Mac V2. So I took that and uh, I took the male stud that I have of that and I crossed that into Black Lime Reserve. Um, it'll be done testing a couple of weeks and so far so good. Um, it's... I'm really looking forward to it, but, uh, yeah, yeah, I test everything pretty. I just want to make sure everything's good to go before I release it. Cause I don't want people coming back and be like, Oh my, you're shit. And and I just, you know, people get pissed if your shit's not on point. So they spend hard earned money on those seeds and then grow them out for months at a time or whatever. It's a huge commitment when people get disappointed by genetics, it's definitely a hard uh, loss. So I commend you for doing the, you know, due diligence and testing properly and make sure it's good stuff. If people are going to, you know, spend their hard earned money and grow it out, you know, and a lot of people I've listened to that grew it out your stuff so far have been very happy with it. So I'm happy that the process is working. Yep. All right. We cool. do I'll see you. Peace out, Brandon. Thanks for joining us, Brandon. Always great to have Later. you. And you can find him, his stuff at bokashiearthworks.com. If you want to check him out and support lots of great products up there, um, but spore your own good. Um, Maybe it was you or Smot Poker asked a question, and it says, looking for protozoa, nematodes, bacteria, and fungi. The first part of that, though, I should have read first. It says, I'm looking for a good microscope to view soil biology uh, in order to view the things that I just listed, protozoa, uh, nematodes, bacteria, and fungi. So I have a compound microscope from Amscope. I don't actually know the model uh, off the top of my head. Um, but I've had it since I was in high school and it served me very well. Um, it depends on what you're looking for. So, so given that context, you're looking at quite small things. And I feel like a compound microscope would be really useful for looking at some of those in great detail. Whereas, you know, kind of like an observer, quote unquote, like an observational microscope for like small microarthropods and things like that. Um, I think would be a little bit better because you get a better objective view of everything or a view through the objective is what I, what I should say. Um, and, uh, you know, you can, you can have a little bit more of a, more, a little bit more distance. So like if something is like moving along, you can actually like watch its behavior a, a little bit better. Whereas in a compound microscope, um, depending on the magnification, you know, you're very much con- concentrated on a very small piece of uh, small space. Small field of view. Yeah. Yes. So that's my, I mean, Amscope makes a lot of good stuff. Um, I haven't been in the market for a new microscope, really. But I'm thinking about getting an observational microscope to complement what I have here. But I'll be honest, um, professionally, I often use a, a basic level DynaLite uh, scope. Uh, I find that it works really well. And for a while before I, before I updated uh, to a, an upgrade, I should say, to a newer phone. 
uh, it worked really well. Um, and it still could, but now I have to use an adapter and my case doesn't work well with it. So that's a user interference issue, but uh, they work really well. And um, I only use the basic model because it's a little bit expensive and still does everything I want. But uh, the higher tier things are, honestly, if you're gonna be look, using it very often, I, I would use, I would potentially get a higher level one. I'm not sponsored by them or anything like that, but they do make quality stuff. And some of the um, traits that they have, like the ability to adjust light level is really helpful when you're trying to get a good image. Um, magnification range is a little bit different. And uh, you can also control other aspects of the, of the, the viewing process, uh, which might make it worth it to you as a quality of life upgrade if um, you're really going to be looking a lot at a, a small little organisms like this, uh, which I think I would like to see more people do. So, But they are expensive. Yeah. I would say, Matthew, you should get a stereoscope um, like, 40 times or whatever a zoom one is awesome for looking at bugs um thrips and uh but i don't know if it's powerful enough to see russet mites i can see them with uh i mean i can see them unaided but they're very very small okay. even with like a even with like a lens it's okay but yeah like uh um i've taken some of my broad mite uh footage with um and i have taken some russet mite footage with the dynolite and um, under the compound microscope, like at the 200 times or whatever, you can definitely see it. I think it's, um, I don't know the math off the top of my head, but it is, I don't even think you see the whole thing at that level. Right. You, can, uh, you can go up a little bit and see it more. I mean, the dino light has like a thousand X, right? Isn't it like pretty... Uh substantial amount of zoom so it's probably got more than you're ever even really using out imagine in most cases yeah the um the disadvantage of it though is that i think the field of view is smaller and also i run into this problem because um they've intelligently made them so that it's a lot less likely that you're going to like damage the lens or something like that but they do have like a um I'm looking at it right now. There's like a protective shield on it. Uh, not a cap, but rather just like a- um, It's like a, a plastic cone. guard. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, and so you run into this issue where your actual field of view functionally is not quite, which is why I think they work so much on the magnification because there are times where I wish I could get closer, but I physically cannot. So- Hey guys, I'm fascinated by the microscope talk, but I really want to hear about what Gorski is showing us. And yeah, he has quite the garden. Man. I mean, I, I need I need some words to go along with the images that I'm looking at. So if we could spotlight him and give him a few more seconds, that would be awesome. He's got like yes. a, a garden of different plants too in there. Yeah. So yeah. So there's an apple tree. I just got hungry, ate an apple. Now I grow on that. It's been here for about four months. Uh, that's an avocado plant over there. Let me reach a little bit better. Uh, I had some pest pressure outside, but it's still surviving when I brought it inside. And uh, I've been using the soil. Uh, I used like ocean forest, uh, happy frog and tuper. And I was using that outside or well, I was using that inside. And then every time I was done using it, I would just dump it in a pile 
And then around 2019, I started raking my leaves on top of it. And um, I left it out there until this year. And then I started potting things up and putting it in there. And I was getting um, roly polies and centipedes, millipedes, and stratiolalaps. I got some psilocybin mushrooms in my soil as well. So like you'll see kind of roots going around or you'll think that they're roots, but it's actually the mushrooms growing. Um, and then this was a, a monkey cut plant, one of those carnivorous plants. Um, and it's doing pretty bad because I was feeding it instead of just giving it water and the soil was kind of wet. Um, this is a reveg plant right here from outside in my outside garden. I just really liked it because it was one of the outliers, just a color profile, but it looks like hell because it was senescing. And then I started bringing it back to life under 18 hour light. Uh, this is licking ice cream from Dutch Bloom and it started to reveg finally coming out of the hell hole it was in. But as you can see, it was just uh, kind of senescing. It had seeds in it. Everything I had was seeded. And then this is a clone cut from it. What did you pollinate with? Uh, male, female? Everything. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, I'm going to put myself on blast. I was outside. I, I had handfuls and I just let them grow outside together. Um, I'm in an area, the neighborhood. I've been living here for 15 years. I've walked around a lot. I didn't really notice anybody doing anything outside. I didn't really notice any smells. So I, I put like 50 in my garden and uh, just let them rip. Um, so it was a male, female bunch. Then I thought I was going to move. So I dug some of them up like this, uh, the big one over here before it got pollinated. Um, but this, this was one of my favorite ones. Break. Yeah, it slanted. I saw that earlier. That's yeah, pretty yeah. cool. I like that. You slanted. The the yeah, yeah. So Derby Poison Holy Big Sur is what I think it is. And then this is from my 2019 stock, my Derby Poison Holy Big Sur. That was from a NorCal friend. Um, my buddy was a, a trimmer with the Trimmigrants a couple of years ago. Well, back in 2018, 2019, he got some seed stock, some Jägermeister, some Durban Poison Holy Big Sur, and a couple other ones, um, some Sour Diesel. So I've, I've been playing around with that. But uh, I also worked for a commercial grow, and we had eight rooms with 320 plants per room, and we harvested every week. So I got some clone cuts all the time for five bucks. So um yeah like and then i just kind of kept them so like they came and shit like this but like golden go opium the list goes on and on there's like 30 or 40 different plants so my whole thing is just called mad science mix so if you look at my instagram um it's msm 19 msm 20 msm 21 so that's just each year as i incorporated more males this used to be a male tent back in 2019 and it had approximately 15 males in it and I just let them rip, put the females in there. And then slowly but surely, as I progressed, I had probably 40 or 50 males and it was progression. And I had maybe 40 to 50 females and I just kept on putting them in there. And if I had some autos, I would pollinate them first with the pollen that I wanted to, like bonkers per se, uh, from uh, exotic genetics. and then. It was from double zero seeds that I got for free in 2019 at the Indo Expo. And that's the first time I got to meet Dutch face to face. Um, Josh is just a really nice guy. And he was picking up some exotic genetics too, because after his talk, they were free. And uh, after that, I just, I, I got to meet 
Adam Dunn. And after meeting Dutch and Dunn, I got online and found out about Kevin Jodry. And then after that, I was just like, well, fuck, man. There's like so many stories and so many names and so many labels. I think you might have muted yourself. This but, one, uh, for example. Oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Um, but this one, for example, was all seated up and now it's revegging. So all these Fox. Oh, I think you're muting yourself, Gorski. Yeah, so these are all foxtailing now, and they're all revegging. So this, I'll be. You're muted again, but I do uh, think it's about that time oh, that we do have to wrap up. Yeah, man, I really. Where can we find you on Instagram? It's a gravy kilos, gravy kilos. And uh, if I don't get calling my wife real quick, she's gonna have my ass. So I love oh, you so guys. That's what happened. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I really have the utmost respect for everybody on the panel. But uh, as I said, I'm in hot water if I don't call my wife. So uh, <laughs> thanks for showing us happy your life, happy life. Thank you. Yeah, for yeah. Thank you for being here. Get to it, yeah, man. Have a great fun, one, guys. Thank thanks you for coming by. Bye. Bye. That was very uh, cool to get the tour of the garden. But uh, we'll do a quick little uh, run around, and I'll pass first to Matthew Gates. Yeah, honestly, um, thanks a lot for uh, Dr. Coco. I ramble, and uh, for anyone who thought he was maybe being a little bit. I don't know if anyone interpreted it before, but they shouldn't because I do ramble and I need to be taught sometimes. You can find more information about what I talk about, though, at a great length on my YouTube channel, Zenthanol, as well as on my Instagram, which you guys saw today, uh, at Sync Angel, as well as on Twitter, at Sync Angel. And uh, I really love the chat today and I really love the information heavy topics. And I hope we do more of those. Happy to support. I'm always uh, enjoying the white paper talk. I think it makes for a good discussion and something that we could, uh, you know, leave in the show notes for people to look into for deeper exploration in their own time if they'd like to afterwards. So I love that aspect, uh, sharing the science and our thoughts on it and knowledge about it. It's uh, been enjoyable these past few weeks, and I think it'll be a trend that we'll continue to, to do moving forward. That said, Dr. MJ. Yes, I absolutely meant no offense. I have nothing but love, grower love for you, uh, Matthew Gates. So, so, and I, I trusted that you knew that. I, I also thought that we just kind of got a little bit sort of like, it's so easy to fall down rabbit holes. And I did the same thing. And I just looked over at the clock and I was like, oh crap, we invited this guy on and I want to hear what he has to say. And there's like five minutes left. So that was all I, I trusted that you would understand. Everybody, I had a game. I had a lot of fun today um, going through the papers, learning some stuff um, as we are wont to do. Sometimes I think, man, I, I hope I hope new growers can, can access some of this stuff because, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff that we get into is pretty science heavy, which I enjoyed today a lot. Um, and I do think we make it pretty accessible and, and people start following us for those reasons. So, um you guys can all follow me, CocoForCannabis.com. We're gearing up for the New Year's Grow Challenge. I'm going to have a big Photon Tech giveaway right at the very beginning of the New Year's Grow Challenge. Three different Photon Tech lights and a giveaway for everybody that's in the challenge is eligible to win. All you have to do is sign up. Um, I'm doing another Grow Light giveaway this week on my YouTube channel. So subscribe to my YouTube channel and join us for the premiere. And I will be back next week. Grow with love, everyone. And happy Thanksgiving, guys. Happy Thanksgiving to you. It's a good week. Got uh, some turkey coming my way soon. And the American one, uh, you're the last one to give your final thoughts and shout out. 
Jack, always great having you as host. And I'm always, uh, I appreciate the long-winded answers that both Matthew and Coco, Dr. Coco, give some time. <laughs> always enlightening. And uh, yeah, but it's always great to see other gardens. I love seeing plants and how other people do things. So that's always good. And yeah, the uh, white papers, it's good to go through them and like um, suss out possible uh, distinctions and what the what the methods are sometimes are even questionable. If there's only two strains they use to compare things, you know, that's not a really great um, population. And there's a lot of factors. So like I say all the time, don't even believe everything you read and yeah, you'll be all right. I don't believe anything. I double check it all. And But um, that being said, yeah, it was great. Great night. Great talk. And uh, I'm the American one. And uh, yeah, that's good enough. Peace out, everybody. It was a great, great sign out, as always, per usual. Uh, I love your little, you know, summaries and uh, shout outs there at the end. It's always a great addition to the show. And I heard somewhere that you should uh, believe none of what you hear and half of what you see. <laughs> So it's, uh, I think it's good to be skeptical sometimes. And I'm definitely looking more into that research. I didn't have time this week to read about the UV study. So maybe next week we'll do a follow-up with that because I do think this week, hopefully sometime, I'll be able to uh, make time for uh, reading through that more and, and examining it. And kind of like you were saying, Tao, sussing out uh, what's good about it and what's not so good about it and sharing it with the people because uh, I do think even new growers can appreciate some of these sciences. And we've got a lot of uh, back catalog for, uh, like back to basics episodes if you want to look look to those we have tons of uh, great content out there but i think it's always good to uh keep in mind we have new growers joining us every week so uh trying to keep a good balance moving forward as much as we can with that said i'm at jack greenstock as you can see right here behind me i won't keep it too long uh you could also get my book at 50 strains.com uh, 50 strains of green and i'm jack underscore greenstock on twitter if you want to email me jack greenstock 47 at gmail.com thank you all so much for coming it's great every week i couldn't keep up with the chat it was moving so fast i uh, do feel like i miss out sometimes when i'm not able to engage with the chat live but dr mj was doing a great job whenever i looked over he was back and forth people answering questions and uh, so were some of the other members of the panel so thank you guys and thank you chatters and listeners uh, whether it's live or afterwards on the podcast we really appreciate you so peace out uh, it's jack Greenstock signing out great love everyone happy thanksgiving